Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. All right, welcome to episode three of Chopping It Up. I'm your host, Michael Halen, Senior Restaurant and Food Service Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. It's my pleasure to introduce our guest today, my friend and Chief Business Officer at Kitchen United, Atul Sood. Atul, how are you doing today? Hey, Michael. It is, uh, it is good to be here, and I'm glad you prefaced your introduction uh, with the fact that we're friends. I uh, definitely value that in my life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 100%, man. One, one of the best people I've, I've gotten to meet. Uh, through the years in the restaurant circuit. And, and that's, that's saying something because there's a lot of great people in the hospitality business. Well, thank you. That is uh, nice to hear. And I'm excited about this conversation. I've uh, listened to uh, episodes one and two, and I know you're a great interviewer who knows a lot about this space. So good to be here with you today. Yeah, good stuff, man. So let's, let's jump right in. For those of you who don't know, Kitchen United currently opens 13 Coach uh, Ghost Kitchen facilities in the United States and plans to expand uh, aggressively through year end. So uh, just to get started, a tool for the people that don't know Kitchen United, can you just kind of tell us a little bit about the core business model? Sure. So we were the pioneer in the Ghost Kitchen space. Uh, it actually didn't even have a term associated it, with it when we launched the business about four and a half years ago, um, which is when I joined the company. Essentially what we do is we take over um, spaces that are in dense trade areas. So not necessarily main on main, but close by within a 15 minute drive time radius of uh, a big population of people. Um, we build out 10 to 12 kitchens in those spaces um, and we populate them with name brand restaurants that you would have heard of or local favorites, um, depending on the city we're in, and we make their food available for delivery, pickup, or catering. Um, we've, uh, we've got 13 kitchen centers, as you mentioned, uh, across the country today, are making a big push into grocery. Um, so we operate uh, kitchens in grocery stores as well with Kroger, and uh, we have engagements with malls, we have food halls, uh, very soon we'll be doing stadiums. So we're really the only player in the space that has an omni-channel approach to this ghost kitchen industry. And it's been, honestly, it's been a lot of fun. You know, we were kind of a new thing when we launched the business, having to convince restaurants that this was, uh, this was a worthwhile effort to investigate and then uh, bet on. And uh, in the four and a half years since then, uh, we've uh, essentially become mainstream. Uh, you, you'd be hard-pressed to find any restaurant boardroom today that isn't already in one of our spaces or uh, actively considering it. So um, that's a quick summary, but uh, can definitely dive deeper as we continue the conversation. Sure, uh, and thanks for that. So can you also tell us uh, a little bit about your tenants? You know, Who are some of your big tenants, and, and how are they benefiting from a partnership with Kitchen United? 
Absolutely. So we work uh, primarily with enterprise class restaurant brands. So think of Chick-fil-A, Wingstop, Jersey Mike's, Brinker International, um, Panera Bread, um, brands like those which have, you know, thousands upon thousands of units where uh, uh, everybody is familiar with the brand. Uh, the second demographic of our client base is fast-growing brands across the country. Uh, one of our shining stars there is Portillo's. Um, they operate out of our Chicago River North facility. Uh, we're also in a multi-unit deal with Doghouse, which is one of the fastest growing brands in the country, has a lot of virtual brands associated with it as well. Um, and then our third category of tenants is uh, kind of local favorites. So there are a number of local favorites across the country which are trade area specific. And we do about a third, a third, a third. So a third enterprise class, a third fast growing, and a third local favorite. Um, one of the local favorites we just launched with today in Dallas is Monkey King Noodle House, which is a great um, Asian food joint out of, uh, out of the Texas metro or Texas state. It's got a great name, too. Love it. Yeah, it does. But that's why I say it. Another great name, uh, since we're on chopping it up, is Bad Mother Clucker, um, which is a doghouse, uh, a doghouse brand. I get in trouble for saying that sometimes, but, uh, but it's a great name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? Speaking of great names, I don't think we've spoken about it, but, uh, you know, Kitchen United acquired Zool and, uh, you know, it immediately rang a bell with me. Um, from Ghostbusters, Zool is one of the ghosts in Ghostbusters. And and uh, I, when I met Sean Fitzgibbons, the, that was like the first thing I asked him. I was like, "Wait, why are you called Zool?" And uh, yeah, he confirmed that it was uh, due to Ghostbusters. Yeah, they uh, they're a great team. It's been a lot of fun to work with them. I work closely with uh, with Sean um, and uh, Corey, who was uh, his co-founders on the team as well, and been a really positive acquisition. They had some great technology. We're opening their uh, space in Soho uh, very soon. And um, and it's been, you know, I, I've been part of various acquisitions during my career, and it's uh, seldom that they work as well as this one's going. Um, so that's been refreshing. It's great to hear. All right. So besides the fact that I enjoy your company, you know, I brought you on to kind of tell us where the puck is moving. So uh, can you start maybe with the near term? So customers have returned to dining rooms this year. And, you know, what has, has been the impact on your tenant sales? And then we're also hearing about a pullback in consumer spending in recent weeks. And so I know, obviously, there's a lot of moving pieces right now with consumers returning to dining rooms. But, you know, what are, what are you seeing over at Kitchen United? You know, we've been uh, honestly pretty surprised. As dining rooms reopened across the country, um, we did not see too much of a pullback in demand for uh, our restaurant cuisine. Um, we have continued to see month-over-month -month growth. Um, we continue to see multi-concept orders, which is a big part of our value proposition, where if you want fried chicken and I want Chinese, we can get that on the same ticket with the same delivery driver. One thing I would say that we are starting to see um, which is really what, what one of the core tenets of our business model is we are starting to see a few more customers pick up the food instead of have it delivered. Um, so that uh, that's not a surprise. We located our 
uh, kitchen centers in dense trade areas for that very reason. The sites are very consumer friendly, um, they're welcoming, we have staff there to um, help match the consumer with the order. So we are seeing a little bit more of a tendency to pick up, um, but honestly, a lot of these uh, Gen Z and millennial customers uh, are not afraid of spending money on delivery. Um, that is something that they've gotten used to during the pandemic. They don't see the $5 or $4 delivery fee as that much of an impediment to ordering food and having their meal. Um, and, uh, and so we're not, we're not seeing a slowdown or a pullback. Uh, at the same time, what we're seeing from the restaurant side is um, a lot more interest, I would say. The pandemic really put ghost kitchens on the map um, for a lot of brands, and uh, a lot of brands have recognized that a CapEx light approach to expansion is one that makes sense. Um, so we're, uh, we're uh, very busy fielding a lot of inbound interest. We are working on uh, national expansion deals with every single one of our enterprise brands, um, and uh, and that's very reaffirming as well. Um, you know, we uh, we've grown a little slower than some of our competitors, Mike, and um, we've been cautious and careful about our growth approach because we've been aware that we need to get the unit economics right. And uh, we don't want to be, you know, we don't want to be equated to one of these ultra-fast delivery players that raised a whole ton of money and then went out of business. Um, so we focused a lot on unit economics, and those have, uh, those have been fine-tuned over the last few years, and we're now ready to scale pretty aggressively. Yeah, I think that's a s- smart play. You know, in the restaurant business, they they call the uh, bad location the gift that keeps on giving, right? Because of the the <laughs> damage that it does, right, and the problem getting it off the books. So, uh, how important is site selection to to you know your process and figuring out the unit economics? Uh, very important, I would say. We have a entire team of uh, data analysts that um, reviews every site that is. Uh, on the radar for from our real estate team. Uh, we do thorough evaluation of um, the site demographics. We have calculated our own proprietary metric, which is called DAI, Delivery Affinity Index. And that is the index of uh, people in the area who order delivery uh, cross-referenced with the national average. So when that delivery affinity index is three times the national average, that's kind of our flag to pick a site. Um, And we uh, then do a pretty thorough analysis of cuisine selection and diversity in that trade area. So uh, picking a site is really important, then picking the right brands to populate that site is equally important. So if there's a preponderance of Thai cuisine in the area, we will probably not have Thai in that site. We want to give consumers in the area a diversity of selection. Um, so we've been fortunate in that we mostly pick sites that work. Um, in a couple of rare instances, we particularly early on, we uh, picked sites that were a little less um, a little less busy. So we've learned from our mistakes there. But uh, you know, we're a startup. Everybody uh, everybody's got to make a mistake or two. Sure. And, uh, you know, I know that, as you mentioned, data is such a integral part 
of everything that you do at Kitchen United and technology. And one of the, the cooler things that I think you do is, is that the software that helps uh, your tenants figure out fire times when you have customers that want to order from multiple brands at once. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. We, uh, when we launched the business, cobbled together third-party technology because there was nothing available on the market um, that could handle our needs uh, specific to a ghost kitchen environment. And one of the things we realized is customers really um, appreciated the ability to order multiple cuisines from us back to the uh, Chinese and fried chicken examples. So to get into a little bit more detail, um, if you order a chicken sandwich that takes five minutes to fire and I order a rack of ribs from Lucille's Barbecue, which takes 20 minutes to fire, um, we will actually gate the chicken sandwich order by 15 minutes. So both dishes come out at the same time and are hot, ready for delivery or pickup. And um, that's not as simple as it sounds. You know, the, the technology there is not simply a clock. Um, the technology there uh, also takes into account how busy the line is. So if there are a lot of orders backed up, uh, we know that. Um, and uh, if there's a staff shortage, so if somebody's off the line, we know that. Um, so if there's an ingredient out of stock, we know that. Um, and we will uh, 86 the item from the menu. Uh, so there's a lot of moving parts to that technology. And one of the things we're finding, Mike, is if the consumer is given the choice to order across concepts, uh, they will generally take it. And uh, one of the great results of that is our ticket sizes are pretty dramatically higher than the third-party delivery players. So um, we make, on average, about 58 bucks uh, for a multi-concept order. It's really a family of three or four that are ordering. Um, or three or four friends watching Netflix, uh, whereas the delivery service providers uh, tend to make around 30 bucks a, a, a ticket. Um, so when you take that into account, um, what that does really, and I'm sure you're curious about this, is it makes the unit economics of delivery um, better as well, because there's more fat there if, uh, if you're ordering a bigger ticket size um, to cover the cost of the delivery. So we're seeing very positive results from that. Yeah, that's great. It makes you an attractive partner. It makes uh, delivery drivers more eager to pick up uh, deliveries from Kitchen United. It, it sounds like a win for everybody. It is. And it, ultimately, it's a win for the restaurants as well, because um, what we do is we charge less than the, than the third parties. We charge uh, a 15% commission, whereas, uh, as you know, the third parties are 25, 30%. Um, so the restaurant pays less in fees. Um, the driver makes more in tips and the consumer gets a variety of selection at a flat $4 fee. Um, so, uh, so it works, it works well across the ecosystem. Great. And it's, you know, I think it's, it's a big reason why you're seeing, uh, you know, aggressive growth in, in the industry on top of the, the impacts of the pandemic, right? Absolutely. We've been, uh, uh, we've been very bullish on the industry from the beginning when GV Google Ventures invested in us. Um, they thought we could have hundreds to a thousand plus sites all over the country. We still believe that particularly with our growth in grocery 
um, and in second gen spaces. So we really believe that uh, our model is the new approach to food halls or food courts in the country. Um, and if some of them are entirely virtual, that's, uh, that's just cheaper for everybody involved. Love it. All right. So uh, since we're talking about the third party delivery uh, providers a little bit, you know, as, as we know, last mile delivery is, is a very, very difficult business. So outside of autonomous vehicles, what, what can the providers do to reduce their costs, you know, outside of autonomous vehicles and partnering with uh, Kitchen United and other ghost kitchens, I should say. And then um, what else are, are you doing to be a better partner to those third party delivery partners? Sure. So a lot of the ways that they can reduce their costs is actually by increasing their revenue. Um, so batching orders is an important part of it. Um, when you batch orders, uh, you need to be conscious of the um, food quality and food degradation. So you need to make sure you have a volume of orders that is great enough that there are concentrated orders from the same um, you know, three, four, five block radius, as it were. Um, where we play into that is because we have so many restaurants, um, the uh, volume of orders is greater, um, and the number of deliveries um, a driver can make per hour increases. So I don't know about you. I've, I've been a DoorDash driver before. Uh, definitely a tough job. Um, you know, uh, it. it it requires a lot of parking, a lot of getting out of the car, a lot of hunting for the consumer. Um, where we provide value to the third parties there is we make parking very easy for the driver. We have uh, very clear signage. The driver is in and out in under um, about 90 seconds back to the parking spot. Um, and uh, because of the order frequency, uh, one of the challenges in being a driver is once you drop off an order, you don't know where you're going to go to pick up your next order. Um, so you kind of drive around and the app gives you little hot spots where there might be orders coming. Uh, in our situation, once a driver drops off one order or two, um, they basically just circle back to Kitchen United because there's probably another order waiting there. Um, our customer service people know that driver by name. So we make it very easy for the driver. And as you know, if you better serve the driver, you better serve the delivery service provider. So that's one of the things, um, just order volume and batching. Another uh, area um, which, is, uh, which is beneficial to the third parties is we, um, or, or beneficial, to, uh, beneficial to us is we uh, have, and our restaurants is we have uh, teams that do uh, deals with nearby offices and residences. So um, for our restaurants, they set up catering deals with offices, which increase um, the predictability of restaurant revenue for launch day parts, for example. And, uh, and that's been going really well. That's kind of our mixed market initiative, we call it. Um, starting to work with hospitals, university campuses, uh, um, other other businesses or big residential buildings uh, where people can order catering from a bunch of different options instead of just one. Um, that's very beneficial to the restaurants as well. Um, but what we're seeing on the third-party delivery space outside of 
kind of the advent of autonomous delivery sometime in the next few years is, um, you know, restaurants are just are pushing back against these uh, these commissions. They've been doing it for a while, um, and uh, and uh, and I think there will continue to be margin pressure on the delivery companies to give restaurants a better deal. And in order to do that, they've just got to increase their ticket sizes. So um, that's one thing that we are confident we figured out. Very cool. And uh, I, I love that you worked as a, a delivery driver to help you understand the business. It's great. I, I uh, Domino's has something similar. They have a working store in the basement of their uh, headquarters in Michigan and uh, everyone, whether you're a software engineer, the CEO, every new employee has to has to work down there for a couple of weeks. And I think it's it's critical to understand uh, your employees and, and the difficulties that your employees and your um, partners might face on, on uh, during the day to day. Absolutely. You know, I worked at McDonald's in my prior job and uh, McDonald's uh, suggests pretty pretty firmly that you do two days in a store um, when you're an employee there. And, uh, and I kind of learned from that. And uh, everybody on our teams works in our, in our sites uh, every so often. We actually give the GMs or other staff members a break. Um, it's called give a day, take a day, um, or take a day, give a day. And, uh, and uh, every employee kind of cycles through that, which has, been, uh, which has been great for all involved. Very cool. Uh, so how did the anytime autonomous you want to work anytime you want to work in a anytime you want to work in a center, Mike, you're uh, you're welcome to come work for us. Thirty eighth and eighth in New York is a great center to work in. All right, I'll let you know. That's uh, that's a little shorter commute than my uh, typical uh, trip up to 59th and Lex, so I may have to take you up on that. I'll buy you lunch. S- sounds great, man. Uh, so how did the autonomous delivery test with Westfield go, and and are you planning any more? Uh, it went well. Uh, we worked with Serve Robotics, um, which is a Silicon Valley-based company that spun out of Postmates and Uber, um, and uh, and it went well. There was great consumer feedback, lots of consumer interest in seeing the little robots roam around uh, on their four wheels, um, good customer satisfaction ratings. We will uh, probably do more tests um, in the near future. Um, these... Uh, Serve robotics uh, vehicles are able to do street deliveries as well. You don't need to be in a closed loop environment like like a mall. Um, so uh, likely to likely to expand our partnership with them, um, and uh, uh, very happy with the results. I do see, you know, I see autonomous delivery as being a big game changer for delivery. I see that. Um, being more and more utilized in the next couple of years. Uh, the drone thing that we've all talked about, I just, I don't necessarily see that anytime soon. I worked on a drone initiative at McDonald's when I was there seven years ago. Um, and I'd say the advancement in drone delivery is minuscule in that seven-year gap. Um, so, uh, you know, the FAA needs to regulate things and, um, the economics need to work for a pilot right now flying a drone to a delivery drop-off spot. If you're getting a $15 meal delivered, um, it, I, I don't know. The, the complexities are great. 
the return is questionable um, and uh, and the regulatory environment is tough. Yeah. Um, so how long do you think it'll be before uh, food is delivered via little, you know, we four wheeled robots? I think, uh, well, it's already being uh, delivered via four wheel robots in places like L.A., Santa Monica um, and a couple of other Australia, towns and right. cities across the country. Um, so, uh, I think, I think we're there when, when it gets to scale, um, I, I think it will mirror, but be a little faster than, um, than autonomous vehicles in terms of cars. Uh, so I would, I would suggest it'll grow slowly, um, over the next couple of years, three years, and then there'll be a tipping point where, um, it's all over the place three, three plus years from now. Very cool. Uh, and, you know, in our discussions in the past that you've mentioned before that virtual brands are overpopulated, you know, I know a lot of the publicly uh, traded chains that I cover uh, have invested um, pretty aggressively since the beginning of the, the pandemic in virtual brands. So when I'm analyzing these brands uh, that have been created, how can I figure out which ones are going to be successful? You know, I, I have been off the opinion that. Um, that there's an overpopulation of virtual brands. If you, um, you know, if you, I live out in the suburbs of San Francisco and Oakland, and uh, if you look on my apps for uh, DoorDash, Uber Eats, Grub, um, I'm using Grub a lot more now that uh, that Amazon has their partnership with it. Um, there, there are a lot of restaurants that. Um, I cannot. Uh, I cannot go to. I know one of my local Thai places has three virtual brands, for example, um, and I think that is. Uh, I think that's just going to die down. I don't think they're going to be able to sustain the value. Um, I think the third-party guys are going to um, are going to decommission, as it were, brands that don't have a certain volume because it's uh, just taking up real estate on their site. What I do think is going to continue to work uh, is virtual brands from, um, from big restaurant chains. So everybody knows that it's just wings is killing it for, for Brinker. Um, I think, uh, I, I think there are going to be other brands like that, um, uh, that are, um, are associated with, with the bigger chains. I, uh, would guess that, um, the big chains will, um, develop one or two. I, I know it's under NDA, but I know there are a couple of uh, large fast casual restaurants that are thinking um, thinking about virtual brands as well. So I think those will continue to go well. And then I think the other area, of the virtual brand space that will go well is digital first restaurants that really understand branding, uh, cross utilization of menu ingredients, uh, digital marketing, and um, and delivery food quality, um, because you've got to pay attention to all of that in order to run a successful virtual brand. And the guys at Doghouse have been really, really good at that. Um, and in fact, that's, I think, going to go uh, a little bit in the reverse direction, too. I think, um, you know, brands like Doghouse will spin out virtual brands and then eventually have a brick and mortar of a virtual brand that uh, goes goes physical. Um, so uh, I. Yeah, that, that's my general take on it. Oh, very cool. Yeah, digital stores, um, you know, it's a movement we've seen now for the last couple of years, and Starbucks has been 
uh, investing heavily in it and, and really shifting their store base in, in urban locations to, to, you know, smaller um, digital only stores that are, you know, have, may have smaller sales, but return on investments just as good because uh, the real estate costs are down. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all about square foot utilization. All right. So can you talk a little bit about how Kitchen United is expanding its reach through its partnerships with uh, Simon Property Group and Kroger? Yeah, one of the things we found in our uh, investigation of uh, essentially the way malls work and what's been happening to uh, large format malls during the pandemic and really since the, um, since the growth of Amazon really took off is people are obviously going into the mall a little less. The traffic is down, uh, store sales are down. And then the pandemic came about and really hit it hard. Um, what we wanted to do was allow restaurants in the mall to better leverage their existing space and make their food available for off-premise. And what we found was um, delivery drivers who were avoiding mall restaurant pickups because They'd have to park, they'd have to go into the mall, they'd have to find the food court or the restaurant, they'd have to walk back out, get in their car, and then deliver the food. So uh, food degradation happened during that time, and the delivery driver wasted a lot of time. Um, and, uh, and what we wanted to do was create a platform where the consumer who lived in a 15-minute drive time radius from the mall could get all of that food delivered to them. And uh, what we've done uh, essentially is created a uh, system where we have labor that um, canvases the mall. And some of these malls are big. You know, the Westfield one we have in the Bay Area spans two zip codes. Um, and that is, uh, that is just big. Um, so uh, we have labor that uh, canvases the mall, picks up food, and uh, essentially, we operate it as a drive-through for the consumer, uh, sorry, for the pickup driver, um, where we hand off the food to the pickup driver in a drive-through format. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Very cool. Love how you guys are thinking outside the box. So uh, speaking of that, what's the, what's the next step in the evolution of Ghost Kitchens? Oh, really excited about that. So I think there's going to be a lot of... Uh, um, a lot of investment from our side in these, what we call omni-channel offerings. So um, more grocery. Uh, grocery does really well for us um, and really well for the grocer. Uh, more um, things like football stadiums, university campuses. Hell, we've even had a conversation with the PGA about, uh, about using some golf course kitchens for, uh, for delivery in, in dense trade areas. Um, honestly, that's as much because we want to work with the PGA as because I want to get a invite to the Masters. But uh, um, I think more formats, um, more stores, um, more um, more variability of cuisine types, and then um, I think we'll broaden into into secondary and tertiary cities. Um, ghost kitchens, as much as we talk about them. Um, they're really a tier one city phenomenon today. Um, there are a couple of independent operators who operate in cities like Nashville or Knoxville. Um, but uh, I think you'll see 
more growth in those secondary and tertiary cities in the next year to two. Um, and that's where I see this uh, see this market growing. I also think you'll have more formats that are smaller footprints. Um, we, you know, when we started this business, we were building stores that had 14,000 square feet, then we got down to 12,000, then we did 10. We can fit 10 kitchens into a 6,500 square foot store now. Um, we can fit six into a 2,000 square foot space. Um, so uh, we're getting better at space utilization and we're gonna be able to pop these up in smaller spaces more quickly. Build times are shrinking. Um, it took us a year to build our first couple, uh, nine months now down to six months. Um, so I, I think that's, that's the reason you can see our growth targets are getting more aggressive is uh, we're just getting better at, at doing this. Yeah, the f- smaller footprints are going to work in more markets, right? It's it's like uh, just this is, works the same way with with the restaurant companies that we cover, man. Well, listen, uh, I think we're going to wrap it up there, but I I cannot wait to see what innovations you know you, Mike, and the team at Kitchen United continue to to come up with in this space. You know, you're doing very exciting things over there, and you know, I love following the story, and uh, hopefully, we get to see each other on the you know conference circuit sometime soon, man. It's been too long. I'll, I'll fly to New York just to visit you, Mike. That's how much I love you. <laughs> I love you too, man. Thanks again for joining. And, uh, you know, we'll catch up again on the podcast sometime soon. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.